Welcome aboard, historians, to the NCC 73117, USS Little Hero. I'm Captain William. And I'm Commander Vicky. And if you'll step right this way, historians, we'll go to Holodeck 2, where we will continue our adventures of Captain Kirk and his beloved crew. Commander Vicky, will you take us to the coordinates where we belong? Onward and upward, Captain. Make it so. Welcome back to Vicky's Adventures into Star Trek. I'm William. And I'm Vicky. And today we are starting the animated series, which there are only 22 episodes in. Yay, cartoons! Yay, we're going to we're going to be doing two episodes per every episode that we release. So they're going to be still around an hour long, like they have been. Uh, once we get through this, then we'll start the movies. Yay! So, Vicki, would you like to tell them where they can find us? Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Overcast, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, CastBox, Pocket Cast, Radio Public, Stitcher, Spotify Podcast, which was Anchor. Correct. You can contact us at Vicky's Adventures in the Star Trek at gmail.com or Facebook, Vicky's Adventures into Star Trek. Again, correct. So, Vicky, season one, episode one of the animated series, Beyond the Furthest Star, what did you think this one was going to be about? The Enterprise finds a new plan further away than ever before. Okay, so it's, you're wrong. Yes. <laughs> so it says here, the Enterprise finds a deserted ship orbiting a dead star. Series premiere. So are you ready for this one? anything off the bat, Vicky? Uh, the music's different. True. Anything else? Not yet. 
Not yet. So there's no cold openings. Oh! They just jump right into the soundtrack of the opening and that's it. Because this was originally made to be basically a Saturday morning's kids show. Gotcha. So they didn't really need the the whole shebang that they had before. Right. You ready to continue? Yes. Stardate 5221.3. On outward course beyond the fringe of our galaxy towards Questar M17, a source of mysterious radio emissions. Mission Star Charting. So, right off the bat, they show the interior of the Enterprise, the bridge. Did you notice anything out of place? Yes, there's an alien there. What kind of alien? I don't remember. Oh, where is he? Or she? He's um, helping with the ship. Elrix? Elrix, yes. Elrix. Lieutenant? Elrix. An Adosian officer. An Adosian officer, yes. He is a three-armed alien. Chekhov is not here. Right. Now, as you've already noticed by listening to the captain's log, William Shatner, uh, Nichelle Nichols, Leonard Nimoy, James Doohan, uh, George Sakai, and a few others from the original series are back playing their own characters. Right. But it's a cartoon. Correct. Situation, Mr. Scott? We've picked up speed, sir, rapidly. I've caught that power, but we continue to gain momentum. Mr. Sulu, she's not answering the helm, sir. Two minutes right ascension off course and drifting farther, Captain. Stand by to reverse course. Standing by, sir. Reverse course. I can only describe it as hypergravity, Captain. More powerful than any we've ever encountered. Is dragging the Enterprise toward it. Why aren't our sensors picking it up? Forward scanners, Mr. Sulu. Say that again. What is dragging the Enterprise? They are being dragged by hypergravity, according to Spock, which should be self-explanatory. Right. But in case anyone doesn't know what it is, it is a large amount of. Microcellular spore. Uh, oh, I'm sorry. The term hypergravity refers to a particular intense gravity. I was reading the wrong thing. Okay. So it's just a very intense, higher than normal gravity pull. So the Earth has a, a gravity on it. Imagine that like a hundred times worse, for example. I'd call that hypergravity. Right. I would. So. And he did say Questar M17 is where they're at, which is a dead star located beyond 
the fringe of the Milky Way galaxy. It was believed to be a source of mysterious radio emissions until 2269. Gotcha. We'll find out why. Captain, that's the source of the radio emissions. Negative star mass. Spectra analysis. Imploded matter. But every reading on it is negative. Captain, we're still gaining speed. Full reverse thrust. So by him saying full reverse thrust, they are at warp nine hauling ass backwards. Right. And it's not having any effect. Right. We're still falling toward it. How much time do we have? Impact in 93 seconds. 92. 91. Captain, there's another signal. Listen. Forty seconds, Captain. Thirty-nine. Thirty-eight. Sulu, flank speed ahead. Our only chance is to try to get into orbit around that thing. Aye, aye, Captain. Nine seconds. Eight. Seven. velocity. Steady as she goes, Mr. Sulu. Maintain orbit. Aye, aye, Captain. If his pull is this strong, Jim, how do we get out of orbit? Slingshot effect, Mr. Spock? Do we have enough power? I'll need some time for the computations, Captain. I'm getting that radio sound again, sir. Nine seconds right ascension from galactic plane. Dead ahead and closing fast. It's on the view screen now, sir. Put us alongside, Mr. Sulu. Aye, aye, sir. It's a starship. So this is the things that they could do with this versus the original series. They can become elaborate with species and ships and everything. On a lot smaller budget than what they could have ever have achieved with the original series. Right. Nothing I've ever seen. The size of it. It's been damaged. I'll bet she was pulled in like we were. It's coming from that ship, Captain. Confirmed, Captain. But it isn't possible. That ship is dead. Temperature is absolute zero. There's no thermal reading to support life aboard her, and no energy store to send radio messages. Nothing except a slight magnetic flux reading, which could be normal for the ship's metal. You're sure, Mr. Spock? Probability 0.997, Captain. Can you identify that metal or the design of the ship? Negative to both, Captain. Unknown alloy, harder and lighter than any registered metal. It is not a recorded galactic starship design. Retroanalysis of the ship's spectra dates it as having been in orbit here for slightly more than 300 million years. It's beautiful. 
300 million years old. Wow. Holy smoky bears. That is a long time. What kind of people could have built it to, to touch even a starship with grace and beauty? A civilization that advanced 300 million years ago before life even emerged on Earth. Barely an instant in eternity, Jim. Mr. Spock, any indication of that ship's power source? No, Captain. But this far from a G1 star, it is logical to assume they had some kind of warp drive. We'll board her, Mr. Spock. Scotty, Bones, you'll come with us. We'll need life support belts. Mr. Sulu, have the transporter room standby. Yes, sir. So, you heard him just say they're going to need life support belts. Before, they were using suits. Right. So, a life support belt was a device worn around the waist that emitted a personal force field which supplied the wearer with the appropriate atmosphere and protected them from the elements without the need of wearing a bulky environmental suit. Life support belts were used by Starfleet personnel in the 2260s and early 2270s aboard the USS Enterprise. Ready, Captain. Activate life support belts. Energize. shape of the windows suggests a similarity to natural insect designs of earth the honeycombs of bees the individual cells are shaped precisely like this would you look at this now this metal it isn't cast or rolled it was drawn into filaments and spun like a spider spins his web a lighter and stronger material than anything we have now look every pod they've all been burst open Aye, from the inside, from the looks of them. Must have been some accident to get almost every pod. Accidents seldom have such system, Dr. McCoy. I believe we must consider the alternative possibility that the crew of this ship destroyed her themselves. We have beamed aboard the alien ship found orbiting a strange dead star. The Enterprise is recording all data for the log and full report later. Kirk to Enterprise. Enterprise, Lieutenant Uhura here. Lieutenant, are you still getting that radio signal from the ship? Negative, Captain. It stopped transmitting when you beamed aboard. All right. Lock on us with the transporter and be ready to transport. We're going inside. Transporter beam on and locked. Standing by. What do you make of it, Spock? Captain, it's registering energy. Very little, but building. You mean it's functioning? All the millenniums this ship has been here? The wands are accumulators, receptors to attract energy. Motion, sound, light, heat. Every kind of energy around them. The structure of the ship, those huge arches thrusting up. The whole ship is designed to receive and store energy. 
It gives me the creeps. I feel like something's watching us. I feel it too, Captain. Physiological symptom of latent primal superstition. The fear of primitive people confronting something unknown to them. Compared to the beings that built this ship, we are primitive people. Even you, Mr. Spock. All right, let's keep going. Kirk is right about that. Artificial gravity is in effect here, Captain. Both air and gravity within two points of Earth normal. Enterprise, do you read me? Zulu. No use, Captain. Some sort of interference has been set up. We can cut our way out of here. No energy registering. Something's drained them. You mean they're trapped here? No communication? Nothing? For the moment. center of the starship. These must be controlled on navigational instruments. The source of the interference is here, Captain. It's not part of the normal equipment. It's like something they jury-rigged during an emergency. Something to shield this room. But shield it from what? Possibly from whatever had come aboard their ship. But nothing, no form of life could survive 300 million years. Quite right, Mr. Scott. No known form of life. Jim, the door. Interference is reacting against the magnetic flux lines, Captain. Will it hold if the energy stays at that level? What is it? I'm not sure. But I think... million years ago. It is possible that this much of their technology survived. Anything? I may be able to get a translation. Hurry up, Spock. Patience, Doctor.
after that explosion, Mr. Sulu, we're locked on and beaming them aboard. Good work, Mr. Kyle. I thought we lost him when we were cut off so long. Piece of cake, sir. Here they come now. Captain, something beamed aboard with you. System on and prepared, sir. So, we're all just fine. But whatever was on that ship used our transporter beam to come aboard with us. And now, it's here. That alien commander, sir. The message said that they had to destroy their own ship. Until we learn more about it, Scotty, perhaps we should be ready to do the same. Take two of your men and arm the self-destruct device in the engineering core. Aye, sir. Mr. Spock, any change in ship's readings? We're registering a slightly higher than normal magnetic flux. Not dangerous. But the level isn't constant. It seems to fluctuate. A steady, almost pulsing rhythm. Like the beating of a heart. Bridge, Lieutenant Wood. What? Captain. Decks five and six report shutdown of all life support systems. They've gone to life support belts. Manual override is not responding. Trouble in the engineering core, sir. Bridge to sick bay. Bones get down to the engineering core on the double. Get on those life support systems now. Wait for long, Jim. Override systems, Mr. Spock. Open the core hatch. That's no use, sir. The mechanism has frozen. They've already tried. Something's jammed the circuits. They're magnetized. All right, get the cutter beams on that hatch. Move. Yes, sir. systems on decks five and six. Sir, we cannot get into the core. The cutter beams, drained of all energy, sir. Sir, cargo holds three, four, and five. Just shut down life support systems. Power out on all but key levels, Captain. 
high magnetic flux reading. Captain Kirk, the ship's computers. Something's going through every storage bank. It, it seems to be taking control of the whole ship. Spock, can you rig a low-frequency shield like the one on the alien ship on our navigation console? It would have a very small field. Do it. Keep but only an area right. three meters square. Do you get a magnetic flux reading there now? Negative, Captain. Jim, you don't think that's going to help us. Whatever that thing is, it survived millennia and a dead hawk. All it has to do here is outlast us and just take over. No. It must be held by the magnetic force of the dead star. And it means a starship to break free and a crew to man it. You are correct, Captain James D. Kirk. And I have the starship I've waited for so long. So terribly long. Absorb the memory banks, Captain. All of them. You will now remove the static shield from the navigation console, Captain James T. Kirk. You have shut down life support systems and endangered members of my crew. Restore those systems first. All non-essential systems are extinguished. You will obey me. And if I refuse? Obey me. Captain. Obey me. Stop. You heard him. No, Captain. I'll obey. Let him go. auxiliary controls. Aye, Captain. I'm all right, Captain. What are we dealing with, Spock? High rank probabilities, Captain. It is a magnetic organism without mass, but capable of symbiotic relationship with a host body. A starship, for instance. It is a form of primal energy, and it can utilize the electronic control systems of a starship like the mind of a man uses the neural control systems of the human body. It has become the Enterprise. And we are only life support organisms in its body, like the white corpuscles in human blood. And Captain, the magnetic flux readings are higher. It is growing stronger, building itself. The slingshot effect to yank us out of orbit. Can you compute it in your mind? If we try to use ship's computers, the alien will know. I believe I can, Captain. I will need to aid Mr. Scott. The engineer will need to aid from my first officer to complete repairs. Is that permitted? I guess it is. You will leave this orbit and plot course to galactic coordinates 036.231. That's the heart of the galaxy, Captain. Plot the course, Mr. Sutton. Captain. This symbiote can reproduce itself by mitosis and take over every starship we encounter. It can control computer centers, whole planets. I'm aware of that, Mr. Spock. Complete repairs! Obey me! Auxiliary controls ready to activate, Captain. The auxiliary warp drive controls can only be operated manually. Activate the 
really thinks that Captain Kirk is going to obey it. Right. Boy, is it stupid on uh, that account. Yeah. On that account. It is a very smart creature, but it, it must have gotten, like, lazy over the years to the point of determining that things will just obey it if it scares them enough. That's a possibility. In my opinion. And so, it thinks that Kirk and them will just obey. Well, they're not going to, apparently. They're not going to. crew of the Enterprise would have been more willing to take it with them instead of doing what they had to do. But then again, what what fun would we ever be in the episode? Exactly. Log Stardate 5221.8. Final entry. Resuming outward course beyond the farthest star of our galaxy. Mission Star Charting. Okay, Vicky. So that is the end of episode one. What did you give this one for a rating? I gave this one a ten. Okay, I have to give that to you. So who do you think this episode hinged on? Well, the little alien or whatever it was. In the middle of a magnetic being. Yes. Okay. And Spock and Sulu and Kirk, Uhura, and then the the alien. Alex? Yeah. Okay, you're forgetting Bones. Okay. So, anyways, so that one's done, so we're going to start the next one. Yesteryear, what do you think this one is about? This is season one, episode two. when they're forced to remember by alien beings. Well, you're wrong again. Way wrong this time. So let me open it up here. It says here that 
Spock travels back in time to prevent his death as a young Vulcan. Now I had time, I had trouble remembering the name of the creature or thing on the planet surface which we've been to before, which is the Guardian of Forever. I couldn't remember the name of him. I, I couldn't. I couldn't. Right. You know. But I I finally looked it up and realized I had screwed the pooch on that one. So, right. are you ready for this one? I'm ready. Ready. Space, a final frontier. Captain's log, stardate 5373.4. We are in orbit around the planet of the time vortex, the focus of all the timelines of our galaxy. Our mission is to assist a team of historians in the investigation of Federation history. The travelers are returning. Cease review. What a trip, Bones. Orion at the dawn of its civilization. Even just observing, not touching anything for fear of changing some piece of history. What's the matter? Bones? Who's he, Jim? What do you mean, who's he? You know Mr. Spock. Right, I don't, Jim. Kirk to Enterprise. Enterprise. Beam up. to be one of the historians with you, but a Vulcan. Explain yourself, Mr. Scott. Sir? I don't know what's going on, but the first officer of this ship will be treated with respect. Captain, I assure you no one has ever treated me otherwise. Who are you? Oh, I thought... Okay, so, the man who just stepped in. What is he? Andorian! Correct. So that is Commander Thelen. He was an Andorian Starfleet officer who lived during the 23rd century. In an alternate timeline, which you should have surmised by now, I hope, um, created by the death of Spock at the age of seven, Thelen served as the first officer aboard the USS Enterprise under Captain James T. Kirk from the year 2265 to 2270. Cool. In the alternate timeline. I'm sure you'd know Thelen by now, Jim. He's been your first officer for five years. Captain, I have come to the conclusion that this is not a game. No, but if it's reality, what happened? Captain's log, supplemental. When we were in the time vortex, something appears to have changed the present as we know it. No one aboard recognizes Mr. Spock. The only answer is that the past was somehow altered. Nothing. 
I can't find one thing we did when we were in the vortex that could possibly have affected the future. But So that is Lieutenant Erickson that was just speaking. He was a male Starfleet Operations Division officer who lived in the 23rd century. He served as one of the historians aboard the USS Enterprise. Right. Something was changed. It seems, Captain, I'm the only one affected. The mission, the ship, the crew, except for myself, remain the same. But I know who you are, and no one else aboard does. While we were in Orion's past, the time revision that took place here didn't affect me. Kirk here. Sir, we've checked the Starfleet records commander Thalen has for. Your findings? There is no Vulcan named Spock serving with us. So that is Bates, was a male Starfleet officer who lived during the 23rd century. He served as a command in the command division aboard the USS Enterprise. Gotcha. Starfleet in any capacity. Did you also research the Vulcan family history requested? Yes, sir. I can relay that to your screen. Sarah the Vulcan, ambassador to 17 Federation planets in the past 30 years. That is not correct. It is in this case. I wish to ask a question. What of Sarek's family, his wife and son? Amanda, wife of Sarek, born on Earth as Amanda Grayson. A couple separated after the death of their son. The wife was killed in a shuttle accident at Luna Port on her way home to Earth. Ambassador Sarek has not remarried. My mother. The son. What was his name and age when he died? Spock, age seven. If we didn't change anything while we were in the time vortex, someone else must have. Was the Guardian in use while we were gone? Yes, but it was nothing unusual. We were scanning recent Vulcan history. What time period? 20 to 30 Vulcan years past. Was there any notation on the death of Ambassador Sarek's son? So, think of this. How old is Spock? Old. Really now? Yes. I have no idea. So if he was seven when he was supposedly killed, and they were looking at 20 to 30 years into the past, how old does that make Spock? I... That is not my subject. Makes him between 27 and 37 years old. Okay. That was not hard math. To me, math is hard. My goodness. Yes? The boy is recorded as dying during the maturity test. The cause one. A survival test traditional for young males. The date was... The 20th day of Tasmania. How do you know this? That was the day my cousin saved my life in the desert when I was attacked by a wild animal. This cousin... What was his name? I do not recall clearly. I was very young. He called himself... Selleck. He was visiting us. Selleck? But I never saw him after that. Spock, did Selleck look... like you do now? I believe so, Captain. And I know what you're thinking. It was I who saved myself that other time. But this time... You were in Orion's past with us when the historians had the time vortex replay Vulcan history. You couldn't be in two places at once, so you died as a boy. 
Guardian, did you hear that? I hear all. Is it possible for Spock to return to Vulcan and repair the timeline that has been broken so all is the same as before? It is possible if no other major factor is changed. I do not remember everything. There is a vague memory from a child's point of view, but the details are not clear. You have to remember for you and your mother to live. Yes. I will need a Vulcan desert soft suit and boots and a small selection of streetwear, circa 8877 Vulcan years. The carry bag should be of the same period. You've got it. I'll order the wardrobe section to prepare it now. This change in the timeline will put you in my place. Yet I'm not aggrieved. Andorians are not known for their charity. True. A warrior race has few sympathies. But one we do possess is for family. In your time plane, you will live, and so will your mother. That is valuable. Live long and prosper in your world, Commander Spock. And you in yours, Commander Thalen. Nice to know the crew is efficient in this time plane, too. Spock. I wish to visit the planet Vulcan, 30 Vulcan years past. The month of Tasmine. Location near the city of Shikar. The time and place are ready to receive you. It says here that the bullies' names are Sephic, Suffolk, and Steric. Okay. Um, yeah. And yes, Spock as a child was bullied because he's half-human. Right. I regret you are witness to that unfortunate display of emotion on the part of my son. In the family, all is silence. No more will be said of it. Live long and prosper, Sarek of Vulcan. Peace and long life. You are of my family. My name is Selick, an humble cousin descended of Tepel and Sasak. I am journeying to the family shrine to honor our gods. You have a long way. Yes, Tepel. I bring it up here. It says, wife of Sasak. Tepel, 
was the wife of Sisic and an ancestor of Sisic and or a cousin of Serex. This claim was made by Spock while uh, deceptionally introducing himself to uh, as Selic to Serex. to go. Will you break your journey with us for a while, cousin? I am honored. Is something wrong, cousin? No, no. It was only that it seemed I know you. A family resemblance to our forefathers, no doubt. No doubt. Well, come then. Allow me to welcome you to my home. Spock. So, do you remember what Spock's pet was? His mom did say it in the Journey to Babel. I do not. A Selot? Oh, okay. They also saw one on Enterprise? Yeah. So, Selots, for anyone that doesn't remember, was a giant teddy bear, like, native to Vulcan. Selots had six-inch fangs and did not like to climb, preferring instead to remain on low ground. Salots were patient, uh, persistent predators that were capable of tracking their prey for days at least. Descent, uh, domesticated salots, which were only slightly smaller than wild salots, were a popular pet with Balkan children. Salots, however, were very aggressive, so Vulcan children learned early never to be late with their dinner. Right. And this Salot that is uh, Spock's, if I remember correctly, when we were watching it the other day, is called Aishaya. Yes. Being Vulcan means following disciplines and philosophies that are difficult and demanding of both mind and body. Yes, Father. You constantly display your emotions. You have even been seen fighting in the street. Yes, Father. The time draws near when you will have to decide whether you will follow Vulcan or human philosophy. Vulcan offers much. No war, no crime. Order, logic, and control in place of raw emotions and instinct. Once on the path you choose, you cannot turn back. Yes, Father. I hope you were not disturbed by my son's behavior, Sethic. No, my Lady Amanda. Any child has much to learn. My young cousin has a more difficult road to travel than others. You seem to understand him better than my husband. It is difficult for a father to bear less than perfection in his son. Spock will find his way. I hope so. I respect Vulcan and all its traditions, but it is a demanding life. The boy goes through the Kazwan ordeal soon, does he not? Next month. But tomorrow is the 20th day of Tasmin. Yes? Is something wrong? I seem to have lost track of time. Soon you will undergo your test of adulthood in the desert. To survive for 10 days without food, water, a weapon on Vulcan's forge will demand more of you than anything ever has. To fail once is not a disgrace. 
for others. If you fail, there will be those who will call you a coward all your life. I do not expect you to fail. What if I do, Father? There is no need to ask that question. You will not disappoint me. Not if your heart and spirit are Vulcan. Aitaya, what if I'm not a true Vulcan like they say? Personal log, star date 5373.9, subjective time. The timeline seems to have changed again. Yet I do not believe I have done anything to disrupt it. My memory is quite clear regarding the date my cousin saved my life. And it is tomorrow. The Kazwan ordeal is an ancient rite of warrior days. When Vulcans turned to logic, they reasoned they must maintain the tests of courage and strength to keep pure logic from making them weak and helpless. No, Aichaya. This is my own test. I have to do it alone. Stay. Aichaya is following to protect. Of course. As any loyal person should have remembered. It wasn't the actual Kazwan ordeal. Aichaya, go home. You are too old and too fat for this. Go home. That's how you always get around mother. It does not work with me. Go home, Aichaya. Poor Aichaya. Personal log. The boy, Spock, should be moving toward the Langham Mountains. He... I had much to prove to myself. The personal ordeal upon which I embarked was meant to determine the course my life would take. Selick, our son and the visitor are gone. This cousin Selick, something strange about him. You don't think he'd harm Spock? I don't know, Amanda. I will notify the authorities and ask them to initiate a search. Spock is now being attacked by a Lamacha. A Lamacha was a large predatory animal bearing poisonous claws native to the planet Vulcan. Lamachas were known to live in the Langan foothills along Vulcan's forge. Right. Here comes Aishaya for the save. Aishaya went down. Aishaya, good boy! I suggest we move away from this area before the Lamachia regains consciousness. Thank you for helping me, and Aishaya. It was my duty, Spock. Mother says you should always say thank you. The Lady Amanda is known for her graciousness. Do you think I'll ever be able to do that neck pinch as well as you? I dare say you will. 
Come now. You followed me. Why? I suspected you would go. You are worried about the Kazwan ordeal. I had to see if I could do it. A personal test. I cannot fail. That is your father's wish? Yes, and my mother's. They... they confuse me. Father wants me to do things his way, and mother says I should. But then she goes... She is a human woman with strong emotion and sensitivities. She embarrasses you with those traits. And you are afraid when you see them in yourself. How did you know? There is some human blood in my family line. It is not fatal. What you do not yet understand, Spock, is that Vulcans do not lack emotion. It is only that ours is controlled. Logic offers a serenity humans seldom experience in full. We have emotions, but we deal with them and do not let them control us. I shut it down again. I show you! The Lamanche struck him with his poison claws in a fight. Is he dying? Yes. Oh, no. Personal log. Something unexpected has again occurred. The Selat, Aichaya, was struck by the poisonous claws of the Lamachia he fought. He is dying, unless we can find a healer, and soon. We cannot get him back to the city to a healer. He is too large to move. Then what? You are a Vulcan. What is the logical thing to do? I can bring a healer here. It is a long journey across the desert. There are many dangers. I will go. No, this is my duty. No one else can do it for me. Will you stay with him? This did not happen before. My life decision was made without the sacrifice of yours, old friend. I know there is pain. I can help a little. Sleep now. Spot Nick pinched him. The hour is late. I trust your errand is urgent. Most urgent, healer. My Selot fought a Lamacha in the Langan foothills. He suffered a small wound, but the poison of its claws is working in him now. Please, you must come with me. He needs your healing. You are Spock, son of Sarek, are you not? Yes, healer. I have heard of you. I have heard of a tendency toward what humans call practical jokes. I did that once, two years ago. Healer, I would not call you out unless a life was in danger. Have you ever heard the son of Sark was a liar? No, that has never been said. Very well. Wait here and I will get my medicines. Healer, please hurry. Be long now, old friend. You may 
made the desert crossing most efficiently. You will not disappoint Sarek in your Kazwan. I wanted only to help Aichaya. He was my father's before he was mine. To lose him... A Vulcan would face such a loss without tears. How? By understanding every life comes to an end, when time demands it. Loss of life is to be mourned, but only if the life was wasted. Aichaya's was not. Spock? Yes, sir? It has been too long. No antidote known will save his life. Is there nothing you oh. can do? I can prolong his life, but he will be in pain. Or I can release him from life. I will need your decision. He is your pet. Release him. It is fitting he dies with peace and dignity. I can't stand to let an animal suffer either. No. Good job, buddy. I regret having troubled you in any way, but it was necessary. I trust you can explain why it was necessary. There was a decision to be made. A direction for my life had to be chosen. I chose Vulcan. It is good, then. You have comported yourself with honor. We will see Aichaya is brought home from the mountains. Thank you, Father. If you will excuse me now, I have some business to conduct with schoolmates. Business? A demonstration of the Vulcan neck pinch. Our cousin taught me. <laughs> I too must make my farewells. Your hospitality has been most kind, but I must journey on. You saved my son's life, Selick. There is no way I can fully repay you for that. Try to understand your son, Sarek of Vulcan. It will be repayment enough for me. A strange request, but I will honor it. My home is yours if you pass this way again. I think I shall not. Peace and long life. Live long and prosper, cousin. The traveler is returning. I sent the others up to the ship. What happened? One small thing was changed this time. A pet died. A pet? Well, that wouldn't mean much in the course of time. It might, to some. Enterprise, this is the captain. Two to beam up. Two to beam up, aye, sir. Well, well, well. So you two finally got back from your vacation. Well, you've been running all over Orion's creation. I've been running the annual crew physicals. You're the last ones. Welcome aboard, Mr. Spock. Well, never mind the chit-chat. I've got my medical scanners all set up for Vulcan. I have to recalibrate every time I run a physical on you, Spock. Dr. McCoy, you do not know your good fortune. If the times were different, you would have to recalibrate for an Andorian. Well, what's that supposed to mean? If that was supposed to be a joke, Spock, I have to remind you, Vulcans don't tell jokes. Times change, Doctor. Times change. That was episode two. 
yesteryear. What did you think of this one? I liked it. What do you give this one on a scale of 1 to 10? I gave it a 9. Okay. So, who do you think this episode hinged on? Well, the Andorian. Okay. The Chaya. Okay. Uh, whatever he was fighting. Was that La Macha? La Macha? La Macha. Uh, Spock, of course. And his father. And his mother. Sarek and Sarek's wife. Right. Um, and Captain Kirk was waiting for him. Right. So Captain Kirk. So we can also say the historians. Okay. Because if it wasn't for them looking at the Vulcan history, this probably wouldn't have come up. Right. Because as Spock said, when they were back in the Orion history and the historians were looking up the Vulcan history, Spock should have been going through at that time. Right. But because they did it whilst they were gone, he couldn't. Right. So, there's that on there as well. So, anything else? No. Okay, well, I guess until next time, I'm William. And I'm Ricky. And we will catch you in our next two missions. Bye!